Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello, America. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson, the third hour of the program. The phone number, if you want to be on the show today, 877-973-7425. As always, text the word Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. And you can follow me on social media and the like. Well, I have an important question. I need you to ask yourself. You may need to look down at your hands or look in the mirror and ask, are you a cracker? When you walk past parrots, do you get a little concerned? They may want to eat you. If, 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 you're, if you're one of those... Well, turns out you're killing people of color with your driving. At least according to the Los Angeles Times, Whitey is killing everybody else. This is just the most absurd story. Here's the headline. This is the actual headline. How white and affluent drivers are polluting the air breathed by L.A.'s people of color. This is, it's gotten much ridicule since it appeared yesterday. Like many Angelinos, I spend a lot of time behind the wheel of my car. I drive from my west side apartment to Dodger Stadium near downtown and further east to hike in the San Gabriel Mountains. I take the 405 freeway north to the San Fernando Valley to see friends or occasionally south to the Los Angeles Times office or to the airport where I grow my carbon footprint even further. So I couldn't help but consider my own complicity while reading a new study from the University of Southern California researchers finding that Angelinos who drive more tend to be exposed to less air pollution and Angelinos who drive less tend to be exposed to more pollution It sounds like a paradox, but it's not. It's a function of the racism that shaped the city and its suburbs and continues to influence our daily lives and a stark reminder of the need for climate solutions that benefit everyone. For every 1% increase in miles driven to and from work by people who live in a particular part of L.A. County, there's an estimated uh, 0.62% decrease in the lung damaging fine particulate matter to which the those Angelinos are exposed. How is it possible? Well, it comes down to the shameful history of Los Angeles County's low-income communities of color being torn apart for the freeways, a history documented by the Times. Today, many residents of the county's wider, more affluent neighborhoods commute to work through low-income neighborhoods bisecting the freeway. Okay, so can I just, let, let me explain to you what's going on here. The left has decided that they've got to show systemic racism. They have to show that the country was founded on racism, that everything's racist, We know historically there was a lot of racism in this country. There were a lot of slaves in this country. When the Civil War happened, a lot of white people from the North 
died for the slaves. They gave their lives that others might be free. But then Southerners during Reconstruction, the the, the Republican Party kind of kind of didn't do Reconstruction the way it should have been done, and the South was very quickly able to turn the tables and institutionalize racism and put in racist systems. I live in a community where I have seen this injustice. I've seen it. There's an interstate that runs through my city, I-75. I live south of Atlanta. There were two prosperous neighborhoods, Shirley Hills and Pleasant Hill. Shirley Hills was white, Pleasant Hill was black. When the interstate planners decided to plan the interstate through my city, they could have planned the interstate to go between those two neighborhoods. Instead, they bulldozed straight through the middle of the black neighborhood, Pleasant Hill dividing that neighborhood. Have you ever heard of Otis Redding? Have you ever heard of James Brown? They lived in that neighborhood. They came from that neighborhood. That neighborhood never recovered. It's still a squalid, poor neighborhood. It used to be thriving middle class. There was a house called the Half House. You know what they called it, the half house? The planning and zoning of the Department of Transportation in the 50s, they didn't need the full house for the interstate. So they cut off half the house. And they didn't compensate the family because they didn't do a taking. In their mind, they still had the house so they didn't have to be paid even though they chopped off half the house. These are true things that happen, and we shouldn't deny those things. The question is, what do you do with it? It's like Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick has his graphic novel out, and one of the scenes in the novel is his father talking to a man who's wearing a a ball cap with a Confederate flag on it, the Stars and Bars. And that man is not a racist to Colin Kaepernick. He's nice to Colin Kaepernick. He's encouraging Colin Kaepernick to to work for the dairy farm his dad worked for. He could be successful. He could make good money doing what his dad did. He wanted a relationship. He didn't see Colin Kaepernick as as, as a, a black child who was inferior, but as someone who was capable of taking over his dad's job, as, as someone equal to his dad. And Colin Kaepernick treats it in this in this book as, as some terrible, awful thing, that it was horrible. He had to flee the scene, how he couldn't he couldn't deal with someone who had this Confederate ball cap on, who had a Confederate ball cap on and was willing to deal with and treat Colin Kaepernick as his friend's son with no racial animus. And yet we're presumed that guy was bad because he wore the ball cap. Here's what's happening here in these sorts of stories is that, yes, there were parts of this country where racism was woven into how the interstates were built and the like, and they can't let it go now.
We're living in an age of real-time therapy where you are expected to hold on to the worst things that ever happened and be defined by them and make everyone else be defined by them too. You aren't allowed to move forward unless you painfully go through the past. They want to anchor you to the bad things that happen. They want to be defined by the bad things that happen. This is their choice to still be a victim. It's ridiculous. And let's also acknowledge that in a lot of these neighborhoods, it's not just that they bulldoze it with an interstate. It's that there are a lot of broken families there and crime and drugs and everything else. And the interstate does not have a damn thing to do with that. And they want you to believe that it's all because they bulldoze the interstate. No, it's not. No, it's not. A lot of families packed up and left those neighborhoods. Others stayed behind. And others broke apart and fractured and gangs moved in. The interstate did not do that. Essentially what's going on here is they want to blame decisions from 50 years ago and supposed systemic racism woven into the fabric of our society so they don't have to blame the choices of individuals. They don't want to have to blame an individual One time when I filled in for Rush Limbaugh, I generated controversy. Now, the guest hosts are not supposed to generate the controversy. That was Rush's job. But I did. It was very funny. Snurdly called me and, and told me, you know, we're, we're getting a lot of incoming fire for what you said on the radio, and we just think it's fantastic. You should double down tomorrow. He thought it was very funny. I said this is at a time that uh, fast food workers were walking off the job and striking, demanding $15 an hour for flipping burgers. I said these are people who failed at life. And, oh, people didn't like it. I got called out by by a bunch of people, including some progressive Christians. How dare you say someone's failed at life? But you know it and I know it. There are people who have failed at life. They have made terrible decisions in life and they blame everyone else and if you are a 50 year old flipping burgers at a fast food restaurant you're probably though maybe not but probably someone who failed at life you can hate me for saying it you can be mad at me for saying it i make no judgment upon you other than you made decisions in life that got you to 50 years old flipping burgers at mcdonald's and you don't own the franchise god bless you if you do not everyone's going to end up in the same place in society. This is why the left now is advocating equity instead of equality. They want to give. This is the subtle communism. They want to take from those who have and give to those who have not because they want the have-nots to rise to the level of the haves. And the way you rise to the level of the haves is you lower the level of the haves and, and take it to boost the level of the have-nots. This is just basic communism. And this is what we see in these sorts of stories. Oh, it's so racist. And now it's, well, we're polluting the poor people in these communities as we drive our cars through. You know what? Why don't you take the detour? We're not going to tear up the interstates and rebuild them somewhere else. We don't have them. So you can accept what has happened and choose to move on or anchor yourself in the past. And if you do, you now are making the conscious decision to drive through this neighborhood killing the non-white people, giving them lung cancer, and that's on you. It's not on me. You're the one who's aware of it, bothered by it, and still doing it, not the rest of us. 
I just don't think we as a society that it's healthy for us to dwell on this stuff. And there are some people, we can't move to the future. It's like the election denial. We can't actually have a fair 2024 unless we're willing to actually examine how the election was stolen in 2020. The people who say that are no better from these people who say, we can't actually move forward unless we examine the systemic racism of the past and how the interstate was built in the 1950s. We can't do road development now without looking at that. Yes, you can move forward. Staying in the past, being bound to the past, being anchored to the past, and being a victim is a choice. And some of you just want to be victims, either of a stolen election or of systemic racism that doesn't exist anymore. We've elected the first black man as president, the first black Asian woman as vice president. We've got a credible 2024 candidate on the right who's an Indian American, two Indian Americans, and a black man from South Carolina. We have moved beyond the past, and some of you can't let the past go because because you want to be a victim, you want to be angry, and some of you make a lot of money off of it. As for me and mine, I choose to recognize the past flaws of this country and recognize that we had high ideals set by our founders that even they could not live up to, that we should always be in perpetual pursuit of striving to meet those ideals, and the next day is always better than the past day in this country, and we should not be so enamored and locked into a past of grievance that we cannot appreciate we live in the greatest country on planet Earth. God bless America, not these whiners who think that if you're white and driving, you're somehow killing people. If they think that, sell their car or get a Tesla. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Let's go to the phones. Keith, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hi, Eric. As long time. This is the first time calling. Glad to talk to you. Thank you. I just want you to know, 99% of the time, I agree with everything you say. Excellent. <laughs> um, a couple of weeks ago, you announced you were talking about uh, Tim Scott announcing that he was going to run for the presidency, and I was glad to hear it. And I, I would, I'm glad to see him in it myself. Uh, at the same time, you mentioned that you had a problem back in 1992 when Alvin Keyes ran, and um, I had the honor of working on his co- um, his campaign along with your friend Brant Frost. I was wondering what that problem was. Yeah, so it wasn't 1992. It was 2004 and 2008. Um, I actually was a big fan of Alan Keyes in, in his early rise. He ran for the Senate in 88, 92. In 96, I actually had an Alan Keyes sign and a Jack Kemp sign in my college dorm when he ran for president. But it, the, the problem I have with Alan Keyes is a problem I have with a lot of candidates who they just keep running. Uh, and at this point, they they don't have a plan to win. It's just to be on stage. And I, that's a thing that has always frustrated me about a lot of candidates who they perennially run for office and they don't ever have a plan on winning. They, they want to be on stage. And uh, when it's the same message they've had every time, that's the thing that frustrates me about Keyes. I, I think he's a brilliant thinker. I think he's a brilliant man. But then you're going to you're gonna run in 2008. You, you ran for the Senate in 2004. It was a disastrous campaign after what's-his-name, uh, Jack Ryan withdrew. It, it was a terrible campaign against Obama. 
Um, he had run in 2000. He, I mean, he started in 2000, in 1996 after two Senate runs. At some point, I just think it, it's it's your you seem addicted more to running than to the policies, and and th- that's my concern with him. I, I, and again, in '96, I had an Alan Key sign. Uh, I th- think he would have been great, but by a decade later, still running for president again at, at some point, it's kind of like some of these libertarian candidates who just get on the ballot every four years and they're never going to win. And why are you there? Well, that's fair. I, I, I can see your point there. That's a, a fair assessment. I appreciate that, Eric. Yeah. And, you know, can, can I just say, I, I do also think that Alan Keyes is someone who could have been in a cabinet position and probably should have been in the cabinet, particularly the Department of Education. Uh, for those of you who don't know Alan Keyes, and I know to, at some point, you also, when you run for office constantly, you get the reputation of being a crank, and he's not. And he has some of the best ideas on racial reconciliation in the United States, uh, if people would listen to him. but And that, that again, and, and Keith, I appreciate the phone call, but I'll just say that again is my frustration. He had such good ideas. But when you run for the presidency over and over and over and over, and in fact, at one point, use Comic Sans as a font on his campaign sign. I just, like, come on, man. It, it's time to, to stop running. I mean, we see this with candidates so often. I mean, Marion Williamson is going to run for president again against Joe Biden. It's, it's just, I, 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 I just stop humoring the serial candidates. Honestly, it's kind of to me like, like Ron Paul. Ron Paul had some good things to say, but how many times are you going to run for president and not actually have a campaign? I don't like message candidates because the message candidates think they have a right to be on stage, and then they they want to tie up the stage with their message, and they're not even trying to win, and here are these other candidates competing to win, and I would actually like to hear their message for a second, um, and they just get no airtime. That's my frustration. In 96, I wish Keyes had been the nominee and not Bob Dole. Probably would have won. Howdy, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, let's go to the phones. Jeff, you're up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. Um, so listen, I've been uh, pretty active at the Gwinnett County School Board meetings. This, uh, my, my daughter uh, started the school year there at a public school in, in Gwinnett, um, which we had to pull her out because of all the violence they were having. And one of the things that they did back in the fall was they asked the parents to give input on a new sex ed curriculum. Now, the old, the current sex ed curriculum has like a 10-year track record. It has lowered um, anxiety in the students, it has lowered teen pregnancy, and they have plenty of data to prove all these things. But what it doesn't have is gender ideology in it. And so they have introduced new textbooks that were available online, parents had a chance to come and review it, and then you could you know, fill out a survey on it. Well, 90% of the parents who were surveyed said they strongly disagreed with this new curriculum. The school board set to vote on implementing it. It's already being piloted, even though 90% disagreed. Um, and of those 500 parents, of, you know, what made up the 90% was 500 parents. So the school board um, was interviewed and they had, and it wasn't a school board member that said this, but it was someone from the Gwinnett County Schools said that they were not interested in uh, 
and changing course basically because they had received feedback from their teachers that said that the, the current courses were not inclusive. So I asked <laughs> for the data and I said, hey, that feedback that you referenced where you said in this article, can I have the feedback? And, and they sent it to me and it was basically asking questions like, is it biased? Is it inclusive? All the, and I asked them how many teachers took it. There's 22,000 teachers and faculty in Gwinnett County 13 took this survey, 13 people. And I came straight from Gwinnett County. So they know that they're playing a complete game here. So what I'm wanting to know is any ideas that you have that I could, you know, go to talk some sense into them. Yeah, okay. Um, one, uh, be at the school board meeting, get on the agenda to speak. Uh, two, contact uh, Frontline Policy, their local a uh, fantastic organization in Georgia that um, raises awareness about these issues. Uh, FrontlinePolicy.com. Uh, okay. Cole Musio is, is the leader of that group. It is a fantastic group, puts more points on the board than most of the organizations out there. And also, talk to your state legislators. Uh, if you've got a – Gwinnett still has some Republicans in the state legislature. This is a big issue for them right now, um, and it is, it's galvanizing them. I mean, I, I would get every single single one of these groups reach out to them, um, or call your state representative, your state senator, whoever it may might be. Uh, they can put pressure on school boards. And this is one of the deep frustrations I have with so many public school systems right now is they are ignoring the concerned parents. They think you're a bigot and a hater, uh, and even though you're deeply concerned about your kid's education, and they've got a program that works. This the gender and gender identity stuff is it may be sweeping through the public school systems, but it's deeply corrosive and corruptive, and a lot of parents are upset about it. And the school boards are pushing back on them. And ultimately, remember, you're dealing with a school board that is elected and accountable. And if you bring pressure to bear through a group like Frontline, through your state representative, through your state senator, you are you're going to be rallying other parents to the issue as well. Those of you who are in Gwinnett County, Georgia, listening to the program right now, keep in mind what he just said. The local school board wants to implement a program that deals with uh, gender identity and replace a program they know is working because 13 progressive teachers said they should out of thousands of teachers. It's it's so aggravating that we are we're here at this time in our society. Uh, and we got all this this madness sailing through. Now, some more madness that I want to talk about. I'm writing a book. I actually am. I'm I'm really doing it again. And the book I'm writing in part is that um, the secularism of the age is a new religion. But hang on, I have to correct. There's there's somebody wrong in my listing audience, and I need to correct them. I have an email. I just saw it. it just came through. Sloan Hayes, if you're listening, Sloan, uh, you're right. Otis Redding was from Macon, but James Brown was not. He was from Augusta. I think uh, the other one you're thinking of was Little Richard. Yes, Little Richard was from Macon. James Brown was from Macon as well. James moved from Macon to Augusta, but his house uh, the city preserved it. When I was on city council, we preserved James Brown's house. He was actually born in Macon, moved to Augusta, 
uh, and his house was in this Pleasant Hill neighborhood. Think about that. Uh, Macon, Georgia, the middle of Georgia, the Allman Brothers, Little Richard, James Brown, Otis Redding, all from here. James Brown was. Lena Horne was not from Macon, but moved here to get her musical career started from New York before she went back. But I just, Sloan, I got to correct you on that one. I, I know this one for sure because when I was on our city council in Macon, Georgia, we preserved James Brown's house and the actual bridge that goes across the interstate dividing um, the neighbor, dividing Pleasant Hill is the James Brown Bridge. There's also one named after Little Richard. Little Richard Pinneman uh, Boulevard is in town. So I, I know of what I speak. So I'm correcting you on this one when you thought you were correcting me. Now, we move back. So I'm writing this book. The book is on how secularism is a religion. It claims to be not a religion, but it has all the trappings of religion. It has liturgies. It has ecclesiology. It has rites and rituals. Uh, instead of going to church, you go to protest. Instead of giving tithes to a religious group, you give tithes to Planned Parenthood. You, secularism has all the manifestations of religion, including wanting to shut out other religions. One of the things that secularism lacks that Christianity has is the concept of grace. In the Christian religion, you sin and you ask for forgiveness, you are forgiven. In secularism, your crime, your sin can be used against you later. There's a story here from the left-wing Daily Beast. For years, Fox News has pushed the narrative that the United States is undergoing a cataclysmic crime wave driven by drugs and young punks with guns who rob unsuspecting small businesses and get off easy because of soft-hearted judges. That's actually true. Fox News might as well be talking about its own managing editor. Tom Lowell, a longtime Fox News Channel producer who now runs the Law & Order Obsessed Newsroom, took part in a 1986 liquor store burglary in South Florida that ended in a drug bust, and he got a slap on the wrist despite cops saying the burglary was extensive. Documents obtained by the Daily Beast shed light on what exactly Lowell, now 62, did years before society gave him a second chance, allowing him to launch a successful TV journalism career. So the progressives at the Daily Beast want you to know that in 1986, the now 62-year-old Tom Lowell participated in the burglary of a liquor store. How dare he be pro-police? That's essentially their argument, that it's a lie, that it can't be true, that this guy in 1986 participated in a, in a liquor store robbery, therefore... Uh, he's, it's, it's bad. He's bad. He's a hypocrite. 37 years ago. These stories aggravate me because they, they're not doing it to make a point. They're doing it to score a cheap shot. They're doing it to settle a score. The man's been rehabilitated. He's pro-police. 
In fact, they go on to say that behind the scenes, he's known as the law and order guy at Fox News. Have you ever thought that maybe he's the law and order guy because he realized how bad his life was as as a uh, 20-something and realized that uh, had he been more into law and order that his life would not have gone off the rails? They're essentially using it to slander the guy. They're, they're, they're telling a true story about him from when he was young, but they're doing it to malign what he's doing 37 years later. There's no grace in secularism. The writers of this piece are notorious for dredging up old dirt on people to smear them in the here and now for things they did years ago. And they do it to conservatives. Now, I put this on Twitter and said this, and a a reporter I know said, well, the reason they're doing it is because of what he's doing now. Do you not think that because of his past that may have shaped his worldview now? His pro-police law and order view now may come from that. He was clearly guilty then. He wasn't railroaded. He wasn't abused by the police. And now he's got the backs of the police. He wants to be law and order. He's pro-law and order. He's pro-police. And you want to drag him for something old. Secularism is a religion without forgiveness of sin. Secularism is a religion without grace. Secularism is a religion that shows nothing but mercy, and then only mercy if you decide you're going to embrace the orthodoxies of the left. You start giving to Planned Parenthood, all will be well. You know, um, what's his name? Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein. You know, that guy, having been one of the, the major religious figures of the progressive left knew when he was accused of, of inappropriate conduct with women, what was the first thing he did? He says, I apologize and I am going to dedicate the rest of my life to what? Fighting the NRA. He thought he could get away with it. In past times, he could have, but this was different. He didn't recognize the change. You know, the other problem with this this uh, left-wing secularism is that you're eventually, all of you, going to be a heretic when you embrace it. You can never be left enough. There's this comedian, Neil Brennan. He's got this show on uh, Netflix, and he talks about the difference between conservatives and, and liberals, and he's very liberal, uh, very progressive, and he talks about how if someone comes up and says, hey, guys, I'm a conservative, they're like, welcome, have a beer with us. Liberal comes up to liberals and says, hey, guys, I'm a liberal, and all the other liberals are like, we'll see. He suggested they play a game. It would be a great game. How liberal are you? And this is the problem for, for guys like Harvey Weinstein. He's very liberal, supported Hillary Clinton, supported the progressive cause, raised money for Planned Parenthood, raised money for Barack Obama, raised money for, for uh, all the, the anti-gun groups, and decided to pledge his life to fighting. Now he's in jail. He went so far the left couldn't defend anymore. He was expendable. The times had changed. You can never be progressive enough in the progressive religion. And then their eschatology is so bad. You know, in my religion, if I accept Jesus, I'm going to heaven. I don't know about you. In their religion, they accept climate change and put a windmill in the back of the house. They're still going to burn because the people across the street have five kids and drive a, a Chevy Suburban. There's no grace. There is very little mercy, and there is no real repentance, and everybody is damned as long as the mouth breathers are breathing carbon dioxide. And they feel perfectly fine and comfortable and think it's a valid story to take something someone did in their past and suggest that he shouldn't have the position he has now because of back then. Tom Lowell shouldn't be pro-police because he was arrested in 86 for robbing a liquor store. 
it's just a a a a silly silly thing several current and fox current, former and current fox staffers said lowell is known as a conservative fixture from the roger ailes era Referencing the Fox News chief who was ousted in 2016, according to Fox sources, Lowell's clean cut, almost always in a suit and tie, and very pro-police. One Fox News source said Lowell was intent on making cops look like the heroes during the Black Lives Matter protests. Until the New York Times piece dropped last year referencing his arrest, many of the network were unaware of his criminal past. Still, several network insiders and staffers said they had yet to hear about the burglary until the Daily Beast approached them for the story. A Fox News spokesperson was clear that Lowell's transgressions occurred decades ago and he turned himself around despite dealing with personal demons. Yes. Should that not be the moral of the story that you too can be rehabilitated? You too can 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 find redemption? You too can go on and, and, and work in a way that uh, puts your past into your past. You can be unanchored from your past. And this goes back to all the other stuff we've been talking about, that all these people who they get anchored to the past, they want you to be anchored to the past. They want to be a victim. They want to be victimized. They want to be traumatized by things that happened in the past. They can't let it go. The left is too grounded in the past and wants the rest of us to be there as well. They're not future looking for a bunch of progressives. They sure don't want to progress into the future. They want to anchor everybody down by what they did in the past. Now, to some degree, we are anchored in the past. We're back in the Jimmy Carter era when it comes to the economy and all. And I want to make sure on your radar, you're thinking about Advantage Gold because Advantage Gold can answer your questions. They're TrustLink's highest rated gold company seven years in a row. And you can call them at 800-450-2566, 800-450-2566. They want to give you a free gold IRA investment kit that tells you what you need to know. If you want to use gold for your IRA or your 401k, I didn't even know you could use it for your 401k, but they told me you can. Uh, and for regular investing, talk to Advantage Gold, 800-450-2566. There are certain things you have to do to comply with IRA regulations uh, and IRS regulations and financial regulations for your retirement if you want to use gold. Advantage Gold can walk you through those. They're highly educational without the gimmicks. There's no hard sell from them. They want you to trust them by just answering your questions without all the spin and, and, and shenanigans. They're just they're straightforward people. 800-450-2566. Call Advantage Gold today. See if they can answer your questions about using precious metals as part of your investment strategy. 800-450-2566. All righty. Let's squeeze in a phone call here from another Eric. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Hey, Eric. Good to listen to you, man. Thank you. Hey, you know, um, I like to teach my kids about human nature, because I think regardless whether it's politics or whether it's relationships, it really comes down to human nature. Watch human nature. And, and um, you know, I've been talking to them about this, the progressives and, and their logic. They end up eating each other when you stand back and watch this. It doesn't make sense. One thing that really, really perturbs me is I'm all for, you know, women's rights and things like that. And where are these women groups about letting men infiltrate what is theirs? That doesn't make sense to me. It's so, just the logic. Yeah. You know, one of the you things know, I thought that Peter Jackson uh, accurately depicted when he redid the Lord of the Rings' movies is how awful. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what is that? 
Oh, uh, sorry about that. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, Peter Jackson captured how the hordes of Mordor were as nasty to each other as they were to the good guys when there were no good guys around. And that's very much the way the left is. Yeah, and, and we've gotten used to this over the years. It's it's obvious, but but when it comes to black Americans, right? I mean, I teach my kids to be colorblind. I mean, Christ died for everybody, not just white people, right? That's where right. I come from, and that's where I teach them. But this idea that if you don't subscribe to the left or the progressive idea, they're not part of the club. That doesn't make sense to me. How, how do people even look at that? and say, wait a minute, something's wrong here. It, it can't be because I'm white I see that. You right. know? So it's got to be – anyway, it's just a real fertile ground. I kind of appreciate it in a sense because I can take my kids and say, all right, watch what's happening here. Take a look yeah. at it and tell me what you see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, look, um, I, I got to let you go there on that one because sure. um, I'm out of time, but it's it's a great point. And, yeah, the dichotomy, my kids are actually at a school program today uh, where they're showing these inconsistencies in, in this sort of logic that derives from so much secularism of, of the great says who, as Tim Keller says, if there's no God, who really gets to make the rules?